Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And my name is Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing good. Not too good. bad. Good, good. Yeah, Lots it's, 49 today. it's 40, 49 degrees today here. 49 degrees. Well, let me check. Looks like it is about uh, 75. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, that's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Our topic for today is marriage and kind of the impetus for this topic is a conversation that um, – excuse me. It's a conversation that our synodical president started today. We'll get to that in a little bit. Obviously, there's lots of things going on about marriage in our, uh, in our culture and uh, in our world. I think, Scott, that the, the way to start on this is going to be if I'm a if I'm a pastor and I just happen to uh, crawl out of, under a out of a proverbial rock or crawled out from under a rock, and I haven't been following what's been going on for the last decade, uh, what do I need to know? Where do you start with talking about marriage and same sex marriage and all of this good stuff? Well, that's that's just precisely it. We're talking about same sex marriage, not just marriage. Uh, we are at a time when uh, the courts are being asked to rule on whether or not it is constitutionally allowable um, or in, in many cases there have been states that have had uh, – who have passed laws in the 90s or early 2000s saying – defining marriage as between one man and one woman and that these laws state by state are being ruled unconstitutional by the courts. And now it's at the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will supposedly come down with a decision sometime in June of 2015 basically saying whether or not it is constitutionally permitted and whether or not banning same-sex weddings is itself a constitutional violation. Hmm. I think what's going to happen – I think what's going to happen is the Supreme Court the, – the effect of the Supreme Court's decision is going to be the same as the effect of the Civil Rights Act. You know, is, is going to basically say this is now the law of the land and you all – all states have to permit this. And any state that has a law against it, that law is void. I think that's what the Supreme Court ruling will probably – probably say. That's what the best scholars, et cetera, are suggesting well, is going to happen. That's what the doomsday say, <laughs> doomsday prophets are saying. And, and gotcha. yeah, I mean, the, the, it's probably going to be a 5-4 decision. It's, I guess it's certainly possible that the Supreme Court would come back and say, well, it's going to be up to each state to decide. But that hasn't know, been the approach that the Supreme Court has taken for decades really it, it it doesn't seem likely you know i mean you know whenever abortion comes up you know i mean you know once upon a time that was something that states could decide on now right. it is permissible and i think that's what's going to happen i think that it's going to say laws that ban same sex we weddings or same sex marriage um, are themselves unconstitutional across the board state to state if that's the case um then a lot of our churches are going to have a quandary. We're going to have a dilemma because, as you know, when a pastor performs a wedding, he's not just doing, at least as, as things stand right now, he's not just doing a religious ceremony. Right. He also is acting as an agent of the state, of the state in which he resides, or the county in which he resides. 
So when you do a wedding, you sign a marriage license at the yep. at, at the end, don't you? Yep. That's what makes it legal. That's what makes them married in the that, eyes of in the, the eyes state. of the government. Yep. Right. In the eyes of the government, it's your signature on there as the authorized officiant. You are authorized by the sake of your ordination to officiate at a wedding according to the the government of the state in which you live. Now, <laughs> what happens when you've got uh, two men or two women who come to you and say, Pastor, we want you to marry us, and you say, well, even though I've married you know, dozens of couples in my, in my ministry, I won't marry you. Well, because that might, that might fly in terms of our theology and in terms of our, our biblical teaching on what marriage, what constitutes a marriage. Sure. But as an agent of the state, you may be guilty of some form of discrimination Hmm. at which point you could be, and the church could be liable to all sorts of penalty. I mean, so you know, we could be sued. We could lose our nonprofit status. We could. Yes, there could be all kinds of consequences that we haven't even predicted yet. Imagine what would happen if 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 our let's say all the churches of the Missouri Synod lost their nonprofit status. How many of our churches do you think would have to shut down immediately? Ugh. Simply because they can't pay the property tax. Right. Oh man, it would be devastating. Devastating. Yep. And it would it would be it would be hard to even measure yes. with the impact that that would have. Hundreds, if not thousands, of churches will close, will right. shutter up, and not just they, Missouri Senate. No, but you're no. talking about every church body in the country. Well, every church body that forbids the doing of big right. weddings, right? Every church body in the country potentially, obviously, right. some fully endorse this, but. Uh, right. Right, mm. right, exactly. So, I mean, every Catholic church, every Greek Orthodox church that says we won't do same-sex weddings, that would be, you know, I mean, th- that that will be, I think, if I understand correctly, and I'm be happy if some of our listeners can send us an email and correct me and tell me that I'm reading the facts wrong, that'd be great. But my understanding is, Todd, that that we are facing the, the possibility of being guilty of discrimination, in which case, yes, there will be dire penalties, um, mm. and including the things you mentioned. So let's kind of take this not not kind of from the global what of these these level of problems. Let's take this down to a pastoral care issue. So how does this impact? Me as a pastor, how does this impact my ability to serve the people whom God has entrusted to me? I think that's that, and and I realize that that's only one of a bazillion questions that are going to have to be answered on this. What are my options as a pastor or as a congregation? Well, you're, do I have you're, options? <laughs> your ability to administer pastoral care to your parishioners will be greatly hindered when you're in jail. <laughs> really? And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It worked or, for Paul, right? Or when you have to when you have to shutter your school and your and your church because uh, you can't afford to operate, pay your taxes. Right. I mean, there there are, um. In terms of the personal thing, I'm not sure if I know the spirit of your question, but I think what I'm I think what I would say is that what if you've got members of your church who themselves experience same sex attraction? The government has now said, "Hey, this is legal." You know, in every state, it cannot be banned. All bans 
are immediately null and void. Right. Unconstitutional, etc. And, and, and someone who maybe doesn't know the Bible all that well and maybe isn't all that informed about what denominations teach which, they just know they're, that they belong to a Lutheran church. And um, they come to you and say, Pastor, we'd like for you to do a wedding for us, and it's two men or two women. Hmm. And then you, you know, Todd, I mean, you, you know, you don't have to have too uh, fantastical of an imagination to picture this. No, and so, not at all. No. And so then what you have the opportunity to do is to catechize someone and explain to them what the Bible teaches about marriage, what the Bible teaches about sexuality. But when they've come to you for a particular service, which you, it's your conscience won't allow you to perform, um, they have legal recourse. <laughs> they have legal recourse. Right. So right. one one possibility, and I don't know personally whether I'm in totally in favor of this or not, but one possibility would simply be for our churches not to perform civil marriage. That means someone comes to you and says, Pastor, we want to get married, and they – you know, they meet all the qualifications for marriage. <laughs> right. And, um, and then you say, okay, I'll do, I'll do a church wedding for you. We'll do a church ceremony. And then you'll have to go down to the courthouse because I'm not our, you know, our churches don't sign the legal document anymore. You have to go down, you know, go downtown, sort of like, you know, sort of like being a member of a church during the Soviet <laughs> times, right? You right. Know, where you could be a member of the Russian Orthodox Church, you know, but, uh, you know, you weren't going to be able to be married there. You could have a service, but then the sacrament of marriage, but then you would have to go to the to the state office or something to have have some official government officials say it's okay. Well, uh, one thing is for sure, as I've kind of wrestled with this or tried to think through this, I spend more and more time talking about this question in catechesis with each passing year. I remember it wasn't this year's class, but last year, two years ago, my confirmation class, I bet we spent a month simply talking about this issue in connection with the Sixth Commandment uh, and understanding that what does discrimination mean? Uh, is discrimination always a bad thing? And I think, I mean, that's certainly mm -hmm. meant as a pejorative term today. Yeah. No doubt about that. But discriminate simply means to judge. Yeah. And that's what it means is to, <laughs> but, is but to say— But think that's a bad word too. Right. Well, that's right. Um, it, it just Don't means to say yes to one thing and no right. to something else. Right. Uh, but even when you're doing that, you're still making a judgment. You're still discriminating. But that's the I, – I think that there is a, a generation that has kind of come to accept that anybody who says no to anything, yeah. that person is a bigot. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it's also true in my experience that we have to spend more time talking about the Sixth Commandment and related subjects um, than, than we probably have ever or at least you know, in For anybody's – a long, long time. Yeah. Because my, my opinion, Todd, is that sexuality is the, the number one theological battleground for the church of the West and perhaps everywhere and in the, in the, in the 21st century at this time, you know, at other periods of time, 
the major theological battle had to do with the nature of God or the, the two natures of Christ or justification. But now it has to do with what does it mean to be a man and a woman? That's what does it major. mean to be human even? What does it mean to be a human being created in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Um, that that particular piece of our dogma is the nature – I think it's the major battleground, the number one theological controversy or hotbed of our time. And we do have – we simply have to take the time and explain and, and become better informed about some of these sexuality issues than maybe we otherwise would be inclined to do. Um, well, like so many of the things that we've that we've talked about, our instinct is to simply say no, and then, and then figure out, on right, and then move on, yeah. or to or to maybe never even ask what the actual question is, right? And and as a pastor, as a catechist, a teacher, I have to learn how to speak intelligently on these things. Now, I think that for for Susie Pewsitter. If I were to say to Susie Pewsitter, the church is no longer doing marriages, yeah, um, I think that that would be very difficult to understand. Well, I think what you would say is the church is no longer doing the civil aspect of a marriage. I mean, that's that. I agree with you. I think that this will be very hard to swallow, very hard to, to but it may be the the only way we stay out of out of jail. Uh, out of the courts, um, I'm you know I'm not sure that this is necessarily doing the, the the civil portion of doing a marriage, doing a wedding, is a point for uh, for which to be martyred. Not that I'm expecting literal martyrdom, but not yet. Know. Yeah, not yet. No, yeah. I mean the doing of the civil. I wouldn't say we're not doing marriages. I would say somehow. I would say you know. Uh, you know, we have to explain. This simply will require catechesis. We'll have to educate people. Look, we've, the way we've been doing it for the last thousand years or, or so. Or however long, right? Yeah, but it's been certainly more than a couple of generations, okay? The, the way the church has always been – has done weddings for a very, very long time is that we've seen this as a religious rite. It's a religious ceremony. You know, we believe that God is involved. God is active because, you know, Jesus says, well, God is joined together. Let not man separate. So obviously God's doing something. God's got a say in this. Yep. God's he's he's got a say and he's actually the one who's wedding you. I mean, who who is it that's doing the wedding of these two people? You know, well, Jesus would say that God is joining these two people together. That's right. Not that they themselves are joining themselves to, you know, like it's just merely the church is simply just blessing it. All right. Uh, we we I think that the religious element is a real thing and it's very important and we should keep that. But the civil part of it where I go and sign a document from the county that I live in, maybe that part we can say we don't do that anymore. And and but somehow we have to make it clear to people because we can't be otherwise we'll be guilty of perpetrating fraud. We have to make it clear you're not done. You have to go to the county courthouse right, right. if you want the legal recognition. If you want, and you right. do any legal benefits from the right. planet, marriage, etc., right. etc. Right. We would have to be very clear because we wouldn't want to be deceptive and make people think they're receiving something that they're not, because then we'd be guilty of fraudulent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of, of various other problems. Have there been any church bodies in the United States yet that have said we aren't doing civil, we aren't doing the civil marriage thing anymore? No, but there have been voices from from 
major church bodies. So there have been cardinals, right? And there and there have been um, like for the Southern Baptists, a, a very important name is Russell Moore. Right, right. Um, okay, Russell Moore, who writes for Touchstone magazines and First Thing magazine, he's a very, very smart guy. Um, he's at the the Baptist Seminary, and I think he's there at one in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. But he is sort of their head of their CTCR, if okay. you will. And the Southern Baptist Church has what fifty million people. We're talking about a we're <laughs> talking nine, about an, yeah yeah we're talking about an enormous. The Southern Baptist Church is is big. Yeah, I mean it's big, and um, and they have. Uh, Anyway, he's he's kind of like their ethics and culture guy gotcha. and has some kind of a position. Well, he's been saying he's been saying in his private writings or you know on his blog that maybe we ought not do this civil pardon anymore. He's been opining. Uh so we're getting commentary that this might be the way to, to way to go from Roman Catholics, Southern Baptists and everyone in between. Gotcha. Sort of we're but, at the theological punditry level or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I it's do, casuistry. Right, right. I do know of one pretty major name, uh, on, and I'll put this in the show notes, which, by the way, you can find at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 19. So um, one name is Patrick Henry Reardon, who, oh, is yeah. a, who is an Antiochian Orthodox priest, not too far from you, right? Isn't yeah, he he's, Wheaton? He's, he's, he, uh, I think he's in Chicago. But, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So certainly within somewhere between 10 minutes and six hours, depending on traffic. <laughs> Time um, of day. Right. But, but he's, an, he's an Orthodox priest, and he, and he had a big, made a big to-do of this maybe a month ago, I want to say, a month and a half ago, that he will no longer – perform the civil aspect of a marriage that he won't sign marriage certificates anymore and it, you know and that got all kinds of all kinds of press so see i think you're gonna i think you're gonna find um that christians of all different confessions are going to have this common ground right and and they're going to be uniting in a fashion on this issue and what he what patrick uh henry reardon has said is probably what um, many others will start saying whether or not this will become official policy of the Roman Catholic Church or the Antiochian Archdiocese, I can't predict. Um, we just have to wait until we get the Supreme Court ruling. Um, it's possible that we'll dodge a bullet, at least for a short time. But uh, we should also be prepared for, you know, uh, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but we should prepare for the worst. <laughs> right, right. Well, and here's I guess here's my my gut feeling on this is that on the one hand, I can understand moves by Reardon and others in doing this. I mean, and there's a lot of there's a lot of logic behind that. On the other hand, I don't like the idea of retreating and simply saying we lost, we've given this up um, without a without a fight. And what does that fight mean now? Maybe the issue is, is this the fight for us to have? You know, if, we're, if there's going to be a fight, is this really what the fight should be? I think we still are fighting by saying we believe that the uh, institution of marriage, whether you want to call it holy matrimony, which is what our agenda calls it, frankly, is, is holy matrimony, yep. Um whether you – I think we're still fighting by saying this is what we believe, teach, and confess, 
that it, you know, this is an institution instituted by God and he sets the terms and this is what they are. But where we maybe have lost and there is a point in time when you just do have to acknowledge the battle's over. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, they, the rumors in the 1970s of them finding Japanese soldiers in the forest on some island thinking the war was still going on. Um, you know, maybe – and really, what do we lose? I mean, it, to, why is it important that I can sign the marriage license for the DuPage County? Why is that meaningful? Is that I, I'm not a confession sh- of faith? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, if the state says, look, we're going to recognize uh, same-sex marriages, and if you're going to act as an agent of the state, you have to comply. Then I think you either refuse to comply and face the penalty, or you say, well, this isn't something that's, you know, it's not mandated in the scriptures, is it, that I act as an agent of the state in performing a wedding? Right. I can't, is that I, a Romans thirteen thing? I don't think so. No, I don't. I wouldn't I put mean, it there. I, right. I mean, if you were to do it, it would be fourth commandment. I would say. Do you have a a fourth commandment obligation to serve as an agent of the state in doing marriages? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, I mean, don't know, I don't know how you could make that a compelling argument. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that you could say we must. That clergy must be. Um, agents. This, if anything, the secularists would want for the clergy to get out of the marriage business. So to speak. You would think so, but yeah. actually, I don't think that's the case. I think what the secularists want is for us to capitulate to everything and to yeah. sort of roll over. So if I get out of it, that allows me to keep my convictions and not play in their sandbox, essentially. Well, and, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, even, you know, when you read about just war theory, right, um, it is not considered a just one of the conditions for just war is that it must be winnable. It is not it is not a just war if it is deemed futile. Hmm. And even in bioethics, you know, you know, th- there is a point in time when you let grandma die. And I, I'm not necessarily saying that the battle's fought. I just don't see any other recourse. Hmm. I'm open to I'm open to hearing. Well, what you know? Are we really Are we really willing to lose our tax tax exempt status um, because we want to act as agents of the state in marriage? Well, let me let me kind of play another side here for a minute. How is this different from us advocating for? Uh, laws against abortion. We're not going to give up on that. Why don't we give no. up on that? If we're if it's unwinnable. Well, I for one thing, I, I wouldn't concede it's unwinnable. I I think that there's evidence actually that the younger generation has a higher degree of pro life attitudes hmm. than than their parents do. So I think actually we're gaining ground. Um. I mean, you raise a good point. I mean, it is a very good point in terms of should we be fighting to keep gay marriage illegal? Right. That make as it, the and and I want to add something here as the church. Yeah, as the church, not so much as individual citizens, because right, I do right. think that there's a distinction there. And yeah, and this is something that um, 
President Harrison brought up in his uh, in his pastoral letter today. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. But um, in one of the paragraphs, he quotes the Apology, Article 16, as follows. Public remedy made through the office of the public official is not condemned, but is commanded and is God's work, according to Paul in Romans 13. In other words, we do have the right as citizens, either individually or collectively, to seek legal recourse. That is, yeah. to sue, etc., and I think I, I I would totally agree with that. I think that we can still fight. I'm glad you agree with the Lutheran with the apology. Scott. Yeah, yeah, that's good no, ground for you. I, no, I'm yeah, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying hmm, that while we're fighting to change, I, I mean, let's be honest, we're talking about changing people's minds, right? Right. Not just changing laws. Yep. And so I think that we want to keep fighting. But that doesn't mean it still doesn't, to my mind, equate that I must do the civil portion of weddings. That that is somehow a confession of faith. Right. Right. I, I don't. I don't quite think that follows. I I do think that we are in the realm of we're in the realm of Christian wisdom where Christians of goodwill can disagree on this. And uh, I'm sure. going to suggest we'll disagree on this, maybe sure. even uh, quite uh, quite pointedly. Well, I think yeah. we're going to have people on both sides of this article of this issue that are, one that's going to say, "Let's get out of the marriage business entirely." The other, of which is going to say, "This is um, this is kind of our last line of defense when it comes to talking about traditional traditional marriage, traditional families, etc." And we don't give in on this ever. I think you're going to have those two and variations in between, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong yeah. on that too. I suppose. No, I, I, no, I think you're right. Although I think that the people that are willing to, to, you know, if, if, if this really happened to someone like yourself, a pastor, right. Where someone was testing you and you're going to, you're going to face legal penalty um, I, 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 I'm just very skeptical that people would be willing to go down for the, for on this, hmm. you know, per, personally. I mean, it's very easy to think about it in a right. hypothetical yeah. that this could happen to someone, but if you are going to lose your livelihood and you're going to have to become an insurance salesman because two thirds of our church is just closed. Um, I, I just don't see people saying, you know what, uh, you know, us signing, the legal document is so important, such an important part of this. I don't know. I mean, I think that when push comes to shove, I think, I think we're going to say, Hey, um, you know, we lost this one, but we got to still teach and, and preach what God's view of marriage is. I still don't think it changes anything. Cause I'm not, right. I'm still not going to do a gay wedding. Right. And, and I'm still going to teach it as sin. Right. Anyway, hmm. it's going to be tough. It's yeah. going to be tough. Yeah, very, very interesting. And and just thinking through, well, a part of this is I think that I as a pastor or we as a congregation or we as a synod, I don't know, maybe all three, are going to have to come to a consensus on this before the legal kind of ramifications really come out. Let's just say, for the sake of argument— that I am asked to do a gay wedding, 
that is, and when that happens, it's too late for us to sort of institute a policy no, saying you're we're right. going to do it. That's too late. <laughs> and and I think it is too late. I think it is too late because that will happen in a couple of weeks. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what's, you know, because the Supreme Court is going to make a decision by the end of June, probably sooner. Hmm. So if if mid-June comes, I bet you in less than 24 hours, it will be tested in every state of the union. I, th- I expect you're right. I think in less than, once it's announced what the decision is and assuming it goes the way I you know, think it pr- might go, then I think people will test this with their churches immediately. Hmm. Um, I think they're getting ready. I think they're prepared. Um, I don't think we are necessarily. Oh, and, I think we are not at all ready for this. I think no. I'll be on vacation when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's going to be interesting. I am very glad that President Harrison wrote the letter to the clergy. Um, I think he, I think it's a good start. Um, you know, I'm not sure that he he all he says. To be honest, all he really says is we're talking to our lawyers, and we advise you to talk to lawyers too. But that's not advice. I mean, that that that's that's that's, that's good not first, an answer. It's right. not an answer, right? It's like, okay, well, I'll talk to our lawyers. But basically, we're in new territory here. No one really knows how how this is going to work out. It's going to be probably more complicated legally than you or I can, you know, conceive of. Yeah, I am neither a lawyer, a lawyer nor nor play one on TV. So that's just <laughs> you know, I'm pretty much useless when it comes to that. Yeah, but yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. And and there are some other things in Harrison's letter. He makes he makes mention of a, a synod document on marriage policies. Now, I did a little bit of digging. I haven't found the whole backstory behind this document. I think it's a couple three years old, maybe. And it sort of lists historically a lot of the synods, uh, CTCR documents, and other statements that synod has made, essentially affirming traditional marriage. Yeah, and then it has a sample marriage policy for a congregation to pass that says, if I can boil it down, essentially says we only do traditional marriages between a man and a woman. That's yeah. that's kind of the bottom line on that, and that is the the LCMS position. I don't think there's any real question about that, but yeah, I don't think absolutely. that that would have any legal ramifications if if i were asked to do if i were asked to do a marriage of a gay couple i don't think a statement like that would mean one whit no i mean it's it you know after the civil rights act was passed and i think this is going to be a similar thing i wish it weren't and i don't I think it's just that it should be compared to the civil rights movement but i think in the minds of our courts it perhaps will be hmm. Um, when the Civil Rights Act was passed, uh, you had, you know, not that I'm proud of this at all, but Bob Jones University or college or whatever they called, Bible college, whatever they called themselves back then, lost their tax-exempt status. Right. Because they, because they banned interracial dating. Right, right. I remember the. I remember reading about it. Yeah, yeah. So our school, all of our universities, um, you know, by not hiring you know, practicing homosexuals or by not, um, you know, supporting 
recognizing in our insurance policy. What about the Concordia plan? If our insurance policy right. isn't going to recognize same-sex spouses, uh, recognize same-sex families, I don't – I'm not right. smart At what point are we even able to offer insurance to anybody? Yep. yep. Right. I mean in that – we sort of face that struggle or have faced that struggle when it comes to abortion. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Because there's there's been a lot of pressure to force insurance companies to pay for abortions, and yep. the article, the argument has essentially been that's not a that's not a sickness, that's not a health issue, right? Um, and at least not in most cases. And it, and it's elective, it, and it's elective, elective. right? Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't, and that's why it doesn't. You know, a lot of our times, our health insurance won't cover elective procedures, right? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and there's well, obviously a whole wealth of things to think about with this, but this is the kind of thing, Scott, that we have got to get to the point as Lutheran pastors where we're trying to wrestle with these things and furthermore, teaching our congregations about what the issues are. And I hope pastors in their circuits are discussing this and in a frank in a frank manner. And it may be an issue, frankly, Todd, that uh, unites the Missouri Synod in a way that has not been the case for probably ever. Yeah. Well, I think I would go even a little farther than that and say this may unite us with people that we have not seen ourselves as having anything in common with for a long time. Oh, I'm sure of it. I mean, I'm I'm going to all of a sudden be closer to the Roman Catholic priest down the street and the Southern Baptist um, preacher down the street than I have been. Yep. Hmm. And I, I exactly. And, and honestly, and, that's not a bad thing. I, I think there could be some good in this for sure. I, there's persecution or let's, let's not even say persecution. Let's just say strife or, you know, or, right. or, or great stress, even great stress. Yes. Great stress can bring t- people together and help them to reconcile differences. Who knows? Who knows? It's all it's all in God's hands. Yeah. That and that's is. what's and and that's what I commend the most about Pastor Harrison's letter is that he reminds us that the Lord is the Lord of the of the universe and we don't have to be afraid. Amen to that. That Amen. seems like a very helpful way for us to end this section of our uh, of our show. And the next part of our show is uh our friend of the show section and you made our recommendation for this week scott so take it away yeah i recommend that our friend of the show the friend of the crux of the matter this week should be dr peter scare dr scare peter scare is a professor at concordia theological seminary in fort wayne where he teaches uh, new testament and he is very active in the national right to life movement and is very involved in some of the activities that are being done in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And again, here, working very closely with the local Catholic bishop hmm. and other Christians to have rallies and to you know, have a united voice in favor of traditional marriage and against some of the, some of the moral concerns that we, that we share. So our friend of the week, Dr. Peter Scare. Yeah, indeed so. I never had Peter for a, for a class. He, uh, like so many, it seems, he he came onto the faculty after uh, after I had graduated. So I never had him as an instructor. But uh, no, I've no, certainly I mean, known him over the over the years, and he is a an eloquent speaker on these topics. 
He is. And he actually, he was, he and I were students at the same time. I think his fourth year was my first year. Yeah. Yeah. That so sounds about fairly, right. Fairly close. Hmm. Good, good, good. So Scott, what's bringing you joy this week? You got anything for us? I do. And as always, it's, it's another book. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and now, Let's have it. Okay. Um, as I, as I'm getting ready to move, I'm going through all my library and I'm trying to catalog my books and I'm finding things that I forgot I had. And, <laughs> you know, I'm even finding that I have two copies of things that I forgot I had. <laughs> Are we going to have a giveaway or something? <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, I bought something and I liked it so much. I bought it again. There you go. Um, bought the company. Right. There's this, there's this book and I don't know if he ever got it published just by, uh, other than sort of a self-publication is called is by Robert Kolb and it's called uh teaching God's children God's teaching or I, I think I just muffled uh, messed up the title it's covered up with other books here teaching God's children his teaching yes I was very close you were very close and not far from the kingdom it, it's a guide to the study of Luther's catechism and I I bought this when I was on vicarage and I was kind of I did you know I had a good vicarage in many ways but I was also kind of stressed in other ways and he came and he spoke Robert Kolb came and spoke to the pastors conference of the Pacific Southwest district where I was doing my vicarage and he was selling this little book I mean and it's it's I I don't know if it's self-published or if it's published with one of these little micro publishing houses but it's just a great little Enchiridion on the Enchiridion. It's just a little, a nice little handbook explaining the, the, the small catechism and not just the six chief parts, but, you know, it's also including the table of duties and the prayers. It's just a very nice commentary that I forgot all about until hmm. just yesterday. Interesting. Well, and this is one of these areas where as Lutheran pastors – because this is a, so much of our bread and butter, I think that we should be we should be studying and reading and learning on these things often. Not only the what, but the how. We tend to uh, over. We tend well. I'll say we tend to study the what a lot. We don't study the how a lot. Right. Um, so that that may be something for us to for us to explore later on. One of my. One of my the books that I've enjoyed that's kind of in a similar vein over the years is one called The Hidden Discipline by mm-hmm. Martin Marty. And yeah, again, it's uh, yeah, it's probably fifty years old or something like that. But but he again kind of goes through goes through the catechism and and it's a it's a really interesting book. It's been a long time since I read it. But that is not my pick of the week, Scott. Oh, what despite, is despite despite your attempts to derail me, <laughs> I will not yeah. be derailed this time. Yeah. As you know, I am uh, I am interested in lots of different things, especially especially uh, tech things and gadget things. I don't have a, uh, a tech gadget thing this time, but it is a podcast that I listen to. Uh, and the name of the podcast is Inquisitive. It's, mm. on, uh, it's on a network called Relay.fm. I'll have a link in the show notes. And Inquisitive is, uh, is a show uh, that's produced by, by the owner of Relay.fm. Uh, his name's Mike Hurley. Essentially, he does. It's an it's largely an interview show, although he's uh, done a long, long series on that he called behind the app. That was essentially a study of the creative process of how people make apps for iOS. 
and kind of the whole the whole soup to nuts process of that, not the programming technical end of it, but just uh, how do you get the ideas? How do you figure out what the layout should be? How do you prepare for it? The whole thing. It was a great series. Right now he's doing a series on uh, on on music, particularly on albums. And so he's picking uh, individuals that that have a favorite album and then talking to them for an hour about what that album is and then how they uh how they came to uh, love it so much and why wow wow yeah Sounds and cool. and it's very he's just at the beginning of that series but it's a lot of fun uh hurley is is british uh he has a a, a lovely cockney accent which is uh, always entertaining for us americans and uh, I've been listening to that show and many of his other shows for a long time, and he's he's awesome. So I'm gonna, that's my I'm pick. Gonna check it out. Yeah, it's worth listening to. He's very he's very entertaining. So I think that that should do us for this week. Do you have anything yeah. more for our dear listeners, Scott? Uh, no, not at present. Thanks for listening. Please uh, go on to iTunes and like us, and and on our Facebook page and like us. Go to iTunes and write us a review. If it's positive, if it's negative, send it to us privately, and we'll <laughs> we'll fix it. We'll, yeah. we'll we'll try to fix it. Like most pastors, we're extremely insecure, and so uh, need all the positive affirmation we can get. Well, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. partly kidding. Anyway, I better stop before I get myself in trouble. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.